listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Well, I'm very excited to be talking about uh, our my second part in our series, God, Money and Me. And uh, if you aren't you or you're watching us from somewhere else, you may not be aware that God has an answer to the foundation of every part of our lives. I've realized as I've walked with God that God will take us, but we need to work with Him on building the right foundation. And uh, over many, many years uh, here at Life, we have been committed, and I am one that is committed to going to whatever area of human living that God addresses in His Word. And whether it's popular or not, we need to get a kind of breakthrough. And I think the truth is when you talk about money, it's an everyday and it's an every human issue. If you say I don't have an issue with money, then you're one of the few that I have ever met, if ever met somebody where there isn't some adjustment that God wants to make. And God is a God that continues to release and give us revelation. You know, people have said to me over the years, well, the problem with the church is it's always talking about money. That's the problem. It's always, and I go, no, the problem with the church is the opposite. It's never talking about money. It is always trying to get money. It's trying to, again, unlock more and more giving. And giving is a part of the answer God has, but it's only one part. But the fact that money affects us, we've got to get honest and say, if I'm a human, then money is one of my issues. And money is one of the things that God gives us an answer to. Uh, I read this article on a Christian farmer who discovered that his favorite cow, he didn't have too many, was uh, pregnant, but was going to give birth to calves. And so he said to his wife, you know what, dear, I reckon we ought to designate or give one of the calves to the Lord, and uh, we're going to raise one for ourselves because of this incredible blessing. She said, well, which one are you going to give to the Lord? He said, I haven't really decided yet uh, which one I'm going to give, but let's treat them both the same and let's feed them well. And uh, when it comes to going to market time, why don't we decide then which one we're going to give to the Lord? One day, the farmer came back looking very miserable and his wife said, what's wrong, honey? What's gone down? He said, terrible thing has happened. You wouldn't believe it. The Lord's calf has died. She said, but I thought you said we hadn't decided yet which calf we were going to give to him. He says, oh, I was thinking it was the white one all the time. And unfortunately, the Lord's calf died. It expresses a view that we change how we respond according to where we're at. And one of the big things about our humanity is that God gives us answers and gives us a pathway that no matter where we find ourselves is the key for what is in front of us. Money is one of those issues. Do you realize that money influences our everyday decisions? So if you're sitting there or you're watching today and going, I don't think money's an issue. Yes, it is. It's deciding how you live your life. It's deciding how many people you can help. It's deciding what you will or won't do. In fact, I would have to rank money up as one of the foremost voices in humans' lives. Decides what business track we can go down, what we can buy, what and when we should sell, all kinds of things. In fact, it's interesting when you go to the Gospels, the Gospels contain more warnings about money than any other subject. One in four verses in the Gospels deals in some way with money or things to do with money. Do you know that when it comes to money, 
It's the first recorded sin in the early and New Testament church. Ananias and Sapphira, they allowed money to decide their response rather than God. It was money that took out the first apostle. Come on, there was the love of money that grabbed Judas's heart. And when you think about that, money is such an issue. And if we don't gain a biblical reference understanding of money, we're never going to find our way through. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done it here at Life, we are in four weeks or five weeks rather of going through God, Money and Me, which I put together this year out of my lifetime search on finding answers. And uh, in every group, every week, we are dealing with the subject of money. And then in our campuses on Tuesday night, seven o'clock, whatever campus you want to go to, we are going to be studying this different to Sunday, but to help people gain an understanding. Because for Marie and I, as I have touched on before, after 15 years of marriage, we had given everything, continued to give everything away. And I began to read God's word and God says, but you should not be in a place of constant lack. You build and then give, but how will you ever build for the generations that follow you? And this whole book, this whole series comes out of the revelation to our hearts of 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. This is what the Bible says. You need to really connect with this verse. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That word grace is interesting. God is able to make all benefit, come on, all favor, all liberality. In other words, when God gets with you, then your life is significantly different to what it's ever been. And I began to read that and I thought, so what do you mean? Because this is in the context of money, that God's grace would abound towards me, that I would always have all sufficiency in all things. Not partial, not seasonal, that all things would be mine to enjoy. And so, as I said, at the age of 38, I go, but God, that's not happening for me. Not only that, that I would have an abundance for every good work. That word sufficiency is to be in a perfect state of living where you don't need anything. If you have a need around you, you've got it to give. When you have a desire in your heart that is shaped within the context of God's design for you, you can do it. And so I looked at that and I said, God, something is amiss. And yet we still here in the church, we shouldn't talk about money. That's one of the myths we dealt with last week. And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to have a look and a listen. People say all the time, we shouldn't focus on money. Why? There's a real difference between having money and money having you. See, when money gets you, whether it's little or a lot, it's got the control over your future. Jesus addresses money again in Luke 16 and 11. He says these words, if you don't become faithful, if you don't learn how to live according to God's word when it comes to unrighteous mammon, who would ever give you true riches? This is a real huge point that God uses your money to determine what you're ready for. See, you can have things prophesied over you, but the question God asks is, does the foundation have the capacity for His design of your future? And God's going to test you when it comes to money. He's going to say, as we've just read, that if we're not right in the way that we respond, if you have not been faithful and unrighteous mammon, there is no true riches The enemy knows that and so he wants money to lord it over you. He wants lack of money to lord it over you. And we can become dominated by mammon. 
priority in our lives determine who takes the authority. And so if money is your issue, come on. If money is the thing that we haven't gained the authority over, then we've got to look and say, well, who's in the driver's seat here? I ask myself this question, which I think is a fair question when you read Luke 16, 11. When does money become unrighteous mammon? When is money something that God would say is destructive? I would respond by saying it's when righteousness is not attached to it. I want you to think about that. What is righteousness is living God's way with it. If we don't respond to what comes to us God's way, then it is unrighteous mammon. And the fact is it's such a big issue because every time we increase, it's by total belief that mammon enters the room. It's not a once-over thing that you do and then you've got it. No, every time you increase, mammon is there saying, I want control. I want to decide what should happen with this. Jesus goes on in verse 13 of the same chapter and he says, what servant or no servant can serve two masters? Pretty emphatically, he says, you will end up literally hating one and loving the other. You will despise one and be loyal to the other. You cannot serve, everybody say cannot, come on. Cannot serve God and mammon. You can't. But the fact is, if our lives are being determined by what the enemy wants to do with money, then we are actually serving him and the future's already prophesied. There's going to be distance between us and God. John Calvin put it like this, and I'm going pretty strong and pretty straight today, so stay with me. He says, where riches gain or hold the dominion of a human heart, God has lost his authority. Okay, so in the middle of that, I don't want you to check out, but I want to teach you as a dad in the faith, who's got the authority of your heart? Well, I love God. I'm not asking you who you love. I'm asking who's directing the decisions that are crucial to the promise of God coming to pass in who you are. Therefore, I'm not going to apologize about going for it. Somebody said to me after one of the other services this morning, have you found a lot of people stop coming to church when you talk about it? I say, I don't care. Because if they leave church for teaching truth, that's not my responsibility. We're not here to have a crowd. We're here to have people that are going to be modeled in the purposes of God. Come on, can we give praise to God for some reason and say, that's who we are. We're not backing off. And, uh, you, you know, this is about your personal life. It's about your generational impact. It's about what the kingdom will look like in the future here in our nations. It's about what God wants to take us to. In fact, Proverbs 11 verse 10, I'm starting to get warmed up now. It says that when it goes well with you, the righteous, what's a righteous person? Somebody that doesn't live in their righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ and then makes a decision to live in right ways. When it goes well with the righteous, what happens? The city rejoices. So the city is transformed. Where I live, where I work, everything about my environment changes when it goes well for the righteous. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. But I love the end of the verse, by the blessing, by the prosperity, by the liberal pull of the upright, there is, uh, the city will be exalted, will be promoted, will come to largement. So today what I want to do is in the time we've got, I want to teach on the order, God's order of release. 
How we position ourselves to begin to see the release of God flowing on and through us. Remember, because the question is, when does money become unrighteous mammon? And the answer to it is when righteousness is not attached. And uh, I'll just give you some background. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to gain money. Some people think, well, uh, you know, the, the key is I just tithe and I gain money. No, no. If you work hard, you can get money. If you learn wisdom and apply wisdom, you can get more money. By your gift, you can have money. The question, though, is whether God gets attached to it at the beginning and we have his order of release. So I want to live in alignment with God's order of release. And we're going to talk this week, next week, and the following week about four components. It's about stewarding. It's about seeding. It's about saving and it's about spending. I'm going to do it different to any other time I've done it. And it's going to be somewhat different to what's in the book, although there are some aspects that are collectively done as we study it. But we're going to go to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. And people say, oh, that's the tithing chapter. No, it's far more than a tithing chapter. It's, it's a revelation into the order of God's release. This is how God speaks in verse 6. He says this, for I am, everybody say I am. I am the Lord, I do not change. Every time somebody has debated with me about tithing, they go, but tithing is Old Testament law and we're not under the Old Testament law. I say point taken. We are not under the Old Testament law, but tithing, even though it was in the Old Testament law, it was before the law, it operates after the law. And have you ever read Malachi 3 properly? Why do you think God would go to the length of going, this is not about something attached to a season. This is about me. Why do you think there's so much challenge when it comes to honoring God with the first tenth? Because it's, I am the Lord, I don't change. God is not going to waste words without bringing a context that's absolute and in his heart. Therefore, you should be thankful that you are not consumed. In other words, even though you're weak and you drift, I'm a dad, I understand, but I want to bring you back to the right place. I'm not going to consume you because of your lack, because from the days of your fathers, O sons of Jacob, you have gone away from my ordinances, verse 7, and have not kept them. In other words, every generation does exactly the same thing. You just drift away and you lose sight of my ordinances. Yeah, but Paul, again, we're not under the law, we're under the grace. No, he didn't say law, he said ordinance. You've drifted away from my ordinance. An ordinance is a commandment, a specific degree, a prescribed portion. Now I want to give you something. The ordinance is something that God has for all of us. Did you know in the New Testament under grace, we are still committed to his command? You may not have understood. Well, we're not under the Lord. No, no, no. There are still commands that God says, if you keep these commands, you release my blessing. If you resist these commands, you're on your own. I still love you. I still believe in you. I wish so much more for you. But your decision is going to determine how you activate kingdom priority. I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed because I love you, but you've drifted from my ordinances. There are four things that I want to give today in God's order of release. The first is this. To find God's release, there needs to be 
what I call relational priority. In other words, where we stand with God determines how we can respond to him. And God addresses that in verse 7. He says, you've gone away, but would you return to me? If you were to return to me, then I will return to you. Your determination to be at close proximity gives me the ability to come into your world and change the things that you can't. Somebody should be getting excited about this. But would you come to me? Why have you drifted so far from me? You started strong, but you've drifted. Many of us hearing this teaching, we believe in something of what we should be doing, but God sees it as personal. He doesn't see it as a thing we do. Would you return to me? Well, I want to get close to God. Well, how do you get close to God? If you read Malachi, one of the ways is by honoring him with the first. And you need to be close to God to be able to do that. And God sees there are so many distracting voices, so many things around you that would cause you to drift. Everything in life drifts. You start a marriage and it's like, this is going to be the best marriage. It drifts. Come on, everything drifts. I, I read this account about a young man and a young woman that decided they'd get married. And as they moved into their new house together or the house they had together, the, the new wife said, now husband, I've got this thing and it was a big metal box and I want it to live in the closet. But one of the conditions of our marriage is you can't open it. And he looked at her and he said, well, what's in it? He, she said, that's my box. And I'm asking you, if you make a commitment never to look in it, we are going to have a great marriage. Well, over the years, he was very tempted to sneak a peek. And she could see him kind of looking and remember the promise. And he would say, well, honey, I have never looked and I won't look. And that's okay. But one day his wife became seriously ill. And she was in a hospital bed and they gave her a bad prognosis that she wasn't going to live. So she got hold of her husband and said, I need you to come to the hospital. And would you bring the big box? Please don't open it, but just bring it. Once she, he got there with her, she said, well, since I'm about to die, I think now is the time for me to open the box. And the husband unlatched the lid and opened it up. And he saw on one side of the box, two crochet dolls. And on the other side, he saw a million dollars of notes. And he goes, wow, what is it? And she said, well, my mom told me that if I'm going to have an effective marriage, when we get upset with each other, rather than reacting, go into the bedroom and crochet a doll. Put it in the box. And he says, honey, so you're meaning to tell me you only got mad twice? My whole married life. Well, what's the million dollars for? Well, how, how come that's in there? She said, oh, she said, no, that's the money I got from selling all the other dolls. <laughs> the point I'm making is no matter how you start, you drift. And you want God. Come on. We want unlock God's blessing for our futures for our generations for our cities then God gives the first key of making sure that we understand proximity releases the promise if, if you don't get close to God the word of God for you might be something you nod in agreement to but you'll never accomplish and so you can have all the promises of God in your promise book and some Christians are wacky they go around quoting the promise but do you know that Promise without proximity will never take effect. And we need to come to this place of going, God, I'm with you. I trust you. I know you. I understand you. In fact, Jesus taught the same thing. John 15, 7. He said, if you abide in me and my words, my words, my commands, 
my way of living abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done. How many would like to be in a position where you could ask whatever you desire and it will be done? Nobody in this living. Come on, online or in other places you say, yeah, I'd love that. This is, this is the key. It's proximity. It's priority of relationship. God, when he gets you close to him, is going to speak into your heart, give you the trustability to go his way. I love what Jesus taught in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments, not my wish list. Come on, not my, well, it's all by grace. He who has my commandments and keeps them. That one is the one that loves me. Well, I'm in church every week. Doesn't mean you love God. Yeah, but I worship. Doesn't mean you love God. He who does what I say is the one that loves me. And he who, listen to it, Loves me. See, we don't teach the Bible fully. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. We as a church, even at life, we've got a great church. We're far from seeing the manifestation, come on, of the promise, the provision, and the presence of God. Like we ought to live with. And God's saying, you get to choose. I'm not going to make you. Religion will make you. I won't. But relational priority The second thing is what I call established sovereignty. We're talking about the order of God's release. Verse 8, God speaks again and he says, will a man rob God? Not rob from God, but will a man, will a woman rob God? What do you think he's saying? You can't rob God who's eternal and him to be less off. When you understand the teaching of scripture, he's saying, why would you rob me from being God for you? Why would you stop me from doing the things that you can't do naturally and stepping into the equation? Will a man rob God yet you've robbed me? In what way would we have robbed you then, God? He says, in the tithe and the offering. Did you know that the first response as you increase is called your tithe, the first 10%. And as you honor God with it, you establish who is sovereign over your world. We touched on the first part of the series on mammon. Mammon is when money comes to us and we don't righteously respond with it. And it doesn't matter if you're generous or not. Mammon takes hold of the rest. But when we live righteousness and we proclaim, establish sovereignty over it, because it's a testing ground, God is released to be God in who we are. And God is not going to make you. If you ever hear teaching that makes you do it, You know, I've had all sorts of things thrown at me. Well, you've got to preach on tithing because you're a pastor of a church and you need money. We don't need money. We need God's purpose. Come on, we need His Word to unlock the future that He has promised that we're yet to see. We need the power of God liberating us and it begins by the priority of relationship. Secondly, by establishing sovereignty. How do I do that? When I increase righteously, I respond to God. Will a man rob God? Will Paul Dion rob God, Jehovah? You robbed me by not bringing back and putting my sovereignty over your financial world. Adam and Eve, he created them. Puts them in this great garden. They have no sin. But God allows a tree to be created called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, don't eat of that fruit. It's your choice. How many know they got distant from God, relational priority. They began to listen to the voice of the enemy and reason in their current situation and they violated what God said to do and they woke up outside of the garden. In the financial area, you're living inside the garden? 
Or are you constantly finding yourself outside of the garden? God is looking for sovereignty. And we are the ones that choose whether we're going to go God's way, establish that sovereignty over our lives, or we're going to listen to pressure of what is around us. It's a decision of trust. It's a position of lordship to redeem God's active sovereignty. Priority in our life is when our response is to him. You see, all of us have that challenge. Abel and Cain, same thing, two brothers, time to bring an offering to God. Abel, the Bible says, of his first fruits brought an offering. Cain in the process of time, I can't do it. I can't do it now, I'll do it another way. I'll do something later on. And God blessed Abel and rejected Cain. Sovereignty is more than just a law. It's more than something that's, it's about the authority of who is over your financial world. You can be close to God in many areas of your life, but in your financial world, you can live outside of the garden. Challenging, isn't it? The third one we find in verse 10, where I call it positioned honor. We need relational priority, established sovereignty, but also positioned honor. Verse 10, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is where the temperature goes up a little bit because if you don't understand tithing, tithing means by the nature of the word in the original, the first 10%. When we increase the first tenth, we put aside and we bring it to God and we release it to where God wants it to be. A lot of people go, okay, well, I understand about being close to God. I understand by establishing sovereignty, which is making a decision not to hold what belongs to God, but positioned honor is different. God said, I want you to bring the tithe and put it into the storehouse. And people have said, well, I give, but I give to missionaries. That's not what God asked you to do. God asked you to position the first tenth of all of your increase, not for some extra. It's about whether you are making the decision where it goes or God is making the decision. Did you know that the enemy hates the fact of churches beginning to grow up and affect cities? Come on, an amen would be good. Do you know that the enemy doesn't want the church to be what God meant it to become, meant her to live like, that we are not just a group that meet together on a Sunday. Collectively, we have the ability. We can no longer allow governments the responsibility of bringing the change to the people in our nation. We can no longer allow schooling systems. We, we have to come to a point of God says, you know, my chosen vehicle of reformation is the local church. That there might be food in my house. Food, what to feed hungry. Food to bring an answer to people that haven't even met God before. It's His way and the enemy so hates it that we go, well, okay, I've got to give something. So I'll do it my way. I'll do it where I want. There's another project that I feel more inclined to give it to. But positioned honour is about doing it what God wants done with it. Yeah, but Paul, I, I don't believe in tithing. I give more than 10%. That's cool. Did you realize the fallacy of that statement is in the first two words, I give. You still want to control the outcome. If you want to put honor in its rightful place, come on, if you want to position honor, you got to do it God's way. Well, what about the missionaries? How will we fund them? Through our seeding? Come on, through churches that are able to support what God asks them to do? It's kind of like together, collectively, we're going to break the stronghold. By the way, if you don't like this preaching, let me start to get hot. Self-priority ends with self-dependence. 
We are in nations. Um, Pastor Sai was talking with me through the break. We're in a nation here in New Zealand anyway who has had no military background. So we are growing up with our independence. We make the decisions about everything. We decide where we work. We decide whether we study. We decide how many hours we're going to do. We decide what we will or will not do. Whereas most of the world is totally different. You grow up in a military country, you learn to honor somebody beyond yourself. And we have a major problem in this nation of being told what to do. We simply cannot handle it. And yet I'm teaching you that God, if God said that's his mission and plan for the world, wouldn't we get on board with that? And begin to position honor in the rightful place. I love what Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, honor the Lord, this is Bible, with your possessions. Again, with the first fruit, with the first of your increase, your barns will be filled. And God knows that the enemy attacks us because the enemy uh, understands what we don't. The first releases the rest. And uh, it gets a little quiet, and I'm not doing this for any other reason than to help you. But when I stand up and say, before I was five, my mum taught me to tithe. And I'm a little past that now. But in my whole life, I have never once, to my knowledge, had an increase where we didn't tithe. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. God can forgive their past. But I wonder, I just thought about this this morning. I wonder if that's why, or one of the reasons God's entrusted us to see as a church, collectively, something that's never been done in our nation before. If it's a test, then God's looking to see what he can entrust you with in the future. And you go, but I've got so many challenges. The key is get close to him. Don't allow all the voices of what you don't have. Don't allow all of the reason. Get close to him. Secondly, realize it's about establishing his authority, sovereignty over your life. Thirdly, it's about positioned honor. We need to do it God's way to have that outcome. Uh, a story I read of a man, this is a literal story, who came to a guy called Peter Marshall, Dr. Peter Marshall. He was a chaplain in the U U.S. Sen Senate. And he said, you know, I've got some challenges with tithing. Can I talk to you about it being the chaplain? And he said, what is it? He said, I, I've tithed most of my life. In fact, when I was making 20000 I look at my tithe and think 2000 I can do that. He said, but currently my salary now is over half a million. And when I stop and think about it, that's 50000 that I'm giving away. And uh, I just, there's no way I can afford to do that. Isn't it amazing how the more you have, the greater the challenges? That's why God says, if you can't be faithful in the small, you'll never be faithful in the big. And so uh, Dr. Marshall reflected on the man's wealth, didn't give him any advice. He just said, yes, sir, uh, I see we have a problem. Would it be all right to pray? And so they got together and they began to pray. And Dr. Marshall bowed his head and he said, I, pray. I prayed with boldness and authority. I said, dear Lord, this man has a problem. I pray that you really help him. Lord, would you reduce his salary back to a place where he can afford to tithe? How many know if you've got a little child and you give them $10 pocket money, they've done some work, it's not hard to put $1. Come on, if you can't do it in the small, you will never do it in the large. And it's something that we need to learn in positioned honor. And that positioned honor, Martin Luther, a very well-respected theologian, said this, we cannot give God anything. For everything that we have is his already. And all that we have comes from him. We can only give him praise, worship, and honor. 
Do you know that every time you bring the first tenth into his house, do it his way, you position the honor. He is being honored for that. Uh, we teach kind of the truth in the New Testament and we teach sometimes a measure of understanding that's not holistic. I was reading in 1 Samuel 2 how God had appointed Eli as a prophet. And Eli had sons and God promised that the generations that followed Eli would be blessed. We pick it up in 1 Samuel 3, uh, 2 and verse 30. It says, Therefore the Lord God of Israel said, I did say, Indeed, your house, Eli, and the house of your father would walk before me forever. In other words, the blessing would flow generationally. But now, says the Lord, did you realize that God does change his mind? He doesn't change, but he changes because he can only work with what he has. Far be it from me for that to happen. For those who honor me, I will honor. And... Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. I'm still their dad, but they've made a choice to live outside the garden. I want to get to a place today that's going to really help you and the generations that follow you. You get to choose whether you're going to operate in your material world inside or outside of the garden. And you go, yeah, but it's just too big an issue. It's because you're not close enough to hear the Father's heart and to trust him that the divine order he's given is the answer for you. Relational priority, established sovereignty, positioned honor. And here it comes in the second part of verse 10, commanded release. I want to be under the blessing of God. I want God to command, come on, the blessing over my life as the team come and join me. And again, wherever you are listening to this message, it's like God is saying these things in verse 10. This is what God says under this whole thought of um, commanded release. Would you try me now? Some versions, would you prove me? Would you test me now, says the Lord of hosts. Do you know that word, try me, means this. Would you put me on trial? Would you put me on trial? This is the God that always was, the God that is fully able, the God that creates eons of universes we haven't discovered. And he says, I so believe in this. I'm asking you to put me on trial. Do you think he's passionate about it? Paul, why are you getting so passionate about it? I'll tell you why. Because the enemy's ripped us off for too long. And we've got voices out there that are disconnected from God, ruled by mammon, because they still want to be in the place of control. Would you try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Come on, I need some music. I've got no volume. Because I want to get anointed. Pour out. Such a blessing. You can't contain it. Come on, somebody go. That's me. I want to be in the place, even if it takes 10 years. Everybody that comes into my circle of living, if they're going to need, I say, I can help you. I've got an abundance for every good work. I've got an abundance. Oh, that's a trouble with pastors. They've got all this prosperity. Prosperity is this. It's God's blessing released to be a blessing. If you don't have it, you can't give it. Why would you allow the enemy to lock you up in religious thinking, mammon-speaking theology? Oh, I'll write you a letter. I'm going to send you. What's the point of sending me a letter? If you want to, if you sign it, I'll read it. If you've got something worthwhile in it, I'll take it to heart. If not, I'll use it to start a fire. I'll print it off. We'll start a fire, burn some wood, and we'll put marshmallows on with the grandkids. 
if it's got substance, I'll take it to heart. But if it doesn't align with God's Word, why would I allow the enemy that's in the garden have his way to take me outside of the garden and leave me in a place where I'm empty? I'll pour out. Did you see this? Try me now. Put me on trial now. I didn't mention this in any other meeting, but there might be more anointing here. I don't know. This isn't the kind of stuff you say, I'll start it tomorrow. Between now and the moment in God and tomorrow is a whole lot of other voices. A whole lot of other spirits that want to accept. That's why it's the first tenth, not the ninth, not the second. Because if you create space, the enemy will have his way. Every time increase comes, mammon enters the room. You put the first... You've got sovereignty, your position, honor, and God commands a release. I love that. When God is first, we live according to His Word. Agree? We honor Him with all of our increase. Thereby, we release the fullness of kingdom promise. We sing a song in this church. Hey, devil, not today. And I like that. People feel uncomfortable doing it, but I always do it when we sing it. Not today. Do you know that you've got a God when it comes to your financial world wants to be positioned by you where he looks at the devil and says, not on this one. On this increase, you've got no authority. I've been positioned as sovereign. I didn't make him. I gave them the option to choose me. I'm honored. I'm sovereign. I'm first. I'm close. And now I command a release. We are going to be a part of a church whether you love it or don't that's going to have the abundance of God's promise, healing nations flowing through this. And if you react to it, understand it. But don't stay there. Get close to God. Listen to what He says. Put me on trial now. Do it now. And with the next couple of weeks, it's going to help you. If you haven't got it, I'm not just promoting this, although I am, because this is my life journey to understand this. It's different to what I'm teaching on Sunday, but you need to get this into your heart and get an understanding and let God shift the lie of the enemy. Amen. Father, we thank you that you're a God that opens up your word so that we can see the change. This is not just about our today, but it's about our tomorrow. It's about the generations that will follow after us as we set them up to live a 2 Corinthians 9, 8, life and blessing. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.